I'm This Is The Way podcast host, Steve Lascalzo, and I've just watched episode 5 of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome. For the past few episodes, I've produced not just my usual recap and discussion podcast for these episodes, but also something like what you're listening to right now. A collection of my first thoughts going through the episode. Now, at first, I was trying to beat other podcasters to the punch, but I feel like there was a cost for me personally associated with that. There wasn't any prize or reward for being first, not even just emotionally. So, honestly, it's the Star Wars Twitter community that has been ruining my experience. Not everybody, just there are some people who just revel in this strange desire to point out how anyone who has any issues is somehow a bad fan, or worse, not a fan at all. They're insisting that what I've been seeing is not what's actually been happening. I think that's called gaslighting. It's like, uh, you know, actually, you're not smart enough to understand what's going on, and you're just not being patient. Now, seeing episode 5 confirmed some of my worst fears while simultaneously having some really wonderful Star Wars moments that I loved. So I don't understand this desire by this section of the community that just says, wait and see, and then when something confirms their ideas, they they love to just be smarmy and say all these smarmy little things on, on Twitter, but when they're wrong, they totally ignore it or say, you just don't understand. It really saps the enjoyment out of Star Wars for me. And it's a necessary part of being a podcaster is engaging in this community. So when there's a cool lightsaber battle and I find something wrong with the restraining bolt, for example, speaking about this episode, you know, there's just there's just a part of me that knows not to engage on Twitter with anything. Because if I say something great, then I am, you know, ignoring all of the negative things that I said before. If I say something about the negative, well, now, now I'm just focusing only on the negatives. It's not for the sake of time and ease. It's, you're not supposed to question anything, or you risk being called that bad fan, or worse, not a fan at all. Now, before I get started with today's episode, well, Wednesday, June 15th episode. This is the time for me to warn you. You have to have watched part five of Obi-Wan Kenobi before listening. This is not a spoiler-free podcast. If you continue past the break, you will hear about the latest episode of OBK. Yeah? Good. Hello there. Episode 5 starts off with a warning. It read, There are certain scenes in this fictional series that some viewers may find upsetting. After watching the episode, I went and clicked on Revenge of the Sith. No such warning. Now, I went back and restarted Part 5 just to make sure the warning was still there. So I would submit, I was an adult when I saw Revenge of the Sith, and I still get uncomfortable seeing it implied that Anakin killed innocent younglings that he choked Padme, 
And the part where he screams, I hate you, as he burns with severed limbs? That's a weird story. Well, those, to me, seem like they deserve a warning much more than this episode did. The episode is at the moment right in the middle of runtime lengths at about 34 and one quarter minutes of actual action. And it begins on Coruscant. Sometime before the events of Revenge of the Sith, obviously, and I think maybe even before Attack of the Clones, because Anakin had his Padawan braid. The first few moments, I'm realizing, like, oh, this is Coruscant. And then, oh, I wonder when this is. And wait a minute, is this the day of Order 66? No, is it? So the camera pulls back to show Hayden Christensen. And before you know it, you're into the scene with Anakin and Obi-Wan about to have a duel at the Jedi Temple. I thought it might cut away at Let's Begin. I think that would have been the best place to cut it right here. And then show the circling and then the Clash of Sabres um, later. But what it does is it brings us aboard the Devastator with Vader. And it was symbolic. And this is the Devastator, not the Executor or Executor, or whatever it is, because um, Vader had the Devastator, I think, up to the Battle of Yavin, and then was later put aboard the Executor. So um, it's made clear in the credits. There's like the Devastator Captain or something like that is, is listed. So anyway, it's only at the end of the episode that we discovered that this meeting was a charade, but it's weak to me. Naming Reva Grand Inquisitor here was supposed to signal to us that she's trusted and overconfident. But if we hadn't already known about Star Wars Rebels, this scene would have played differently. I, I really do believe that. I think it would have played differently if we didn't know. But we do know. So... I don't think it's an acceptable excuse to use this meeting and this naming her of Grand Inquisitor as some kind of a misdirect. But I do think that's the way that the writing teams are approaching this set of events. Haja, what are you doing here? I felt like the mystery about what happened to Haja was better than actually seeing him again. But it does feel like he'd be the kind of guy to both lie about his fight with Riva. And also the kind of guy to flee, because this guy's sure that he could run his cons from somewhere else, so he's not really attached to Dayu. His involvement in the path, it turns out, is just a matter of convenience. He's not virtuous, and I'm totally fine with that too. But Obi-Wan treats him that way in this episode, after not trusting him before. I think... That it's Obi-Wan's connection with the Force, or reconnection. Now that it's apparently reestablished, he has reassessed Haja, I guess. But Haja is still a con man. I think he's just a useful one. And it's not like he's got tons and tons of options here. Although I would have liked to have seen him uh, hand off to Tala earlier in the episode. And that might have also actually kept her safe. But... You know, he's also the kind of guy that probably, out of just self-preservation, would have probably also kept Leia safe. Roken, that transport, I need to get her back to Alderaan. I discovered that Roken is a last name from O'Shea Jackson Jr.'s Twitter account. He used the hashtag Colin Roken to display a Twitter emoji hashtag. Sully Stark 
does not get one, though. That's Sully's last name, apparently, meaning Wade, Sully, and Colin all actually have official first and last names. Tala's last name, Durith, according to our friends over at Wikipedia, displayed in Oribesh in episode 4, along with a rank of captain. Now, when her character first appeared, I found many different rank insignia images on the internet for Star Wars Navy and Army, and at the time, I, I found a chart that seemed to say that she was a lieutenant, but one thing has become clear, and that's that even in the universe of Star Wars, rank insignias are kind of not interchangeable, but they change and they mean different things. And she could be in a different branch of the Imperial military. So officially, she's a captain, which certainly allows her more clearance than any kind of lieutenant. When Leia runs to Tala in the Jabim hangar, Tala is talking to Nish or Naish and Corin. So these are the two characters introduced in episode two that Haja helped escape. You know, he conned them. We saw him con them out of money or credits, but he actually did help them get safe. And there's also Ned B standing nearby. So it seems to me someone involved in the show really wants to set up Corin Horn as a canon character. Lock down the facility. If we seal them in now, they can hold out for days. If we cannot break them... It is not them we need to break. Personally, I feel like this would have been the moment to have Anakin remember the circling, or Vader remember the circling until the first clash of sabers. This would have been a, a good place, I think, to put just that little moment of the duel in. Now, it doesn't break the episode by just having Vader stare into hyperspace, but maybe Chow tested some different cuts in the edit bay and then it didn't work as well but seeing vader so focused on obi-wan during this episode feels really good one of the weak parts actually maybe the weakest part for me is lola now we know she's been compromised and we see her leave leia's jacket and just head right into a duct but the issue really isn't that leia doesn't know where lola is or what she's doing more on Lola later, but we see Obi-Wan look at the wall of Oribesh scratch marks, and I made out a May the Force Be With You above the Jedi symbol, and then below it, it says, it does say that the light will fade, but is never forgotten, just like Obi-Wan whispers. There's also a lot of faint writing and some symbols that may be incorrect. I know that lowercase and uppercase are sometimes reversed, uh, but... I can clearly make out Corwin Shelvey, and I type that name into Wikipedia, and he's got an entry. Now, I'm sure there are others as well, but they're not going to be important to the show. And I literally wasted at least four hours this morning writing out Oribesh, and it's either my monitor's deliberately bad lighting in the scene, or, or just my inability to find a clear frame that really just wasted my time for the most part. I'm, I'm sure that there are going to be other people who do a much better job translating all the stuff that's on the wall. There's initials and I mean, it's just really confusing to me, but that's not the point of this scene. Obi-Wan sees this and then he finds lightsabers and a cloak all left behind. Now I don't have a problem with Yoda's line to Luke about him being the last Jedi. That is not an issue to me because, well, first of all, it was clear that, you know, from a certain point of view, has a place in the Star Wars universe. But these are people 
that are truly leaving behind their connections to the Force completely out of fear for themselves or their families. They're not just leaving these things to pick them back up later. These are people fleeing to far corners of the galaxy to avoid fates worse than death. Now, Lola's treachery is not really a bad thing here. It's actually almost a godsend, if you think about it. The hangar ceiling closure certainly traps them in, but it's a signal, and if the landing party had just come straight in, what would have stopped them from just slaughtering everybody? This gives Obi-Wan a chance to do some planning, right? He senses what's going on, and I think that the remembrance of the duel on Coruscant here is an excellent storytelling device. That's why I'm of the belief that it comes from Andrew Stanton, who is the fresh voice in the script writing at this point. To me, I think his name on the credits at this point is a really telling sign. Some of us, me (laughs) in particular, have been asking for better storytelling. The weakest storytelling has been in the last two episodes to me, which seem to be the ones that are most uniquely newer scripts. Now, most of the people I know personally who have watched the show like the first two better than the last two, and I would imagine enjoy this latest one the most, kind of like me. Now, I'm not saying that these are all Star Wars neophytes, or they're not Star Wars fans at all, but some of these people are just simply people who know and don't dislike Star Wars. So when I ask a friend like who watches it with his wife, these people are the ones who are saying, it's not, it's not people who are true big fans and who love the show. They're also not enjoying the character of Reva, but most of these other people who just kind of tangentially enjoy Star Wars, whenever there's a new story to be told, they say, why did they want us to care about that girl so much? And also that she's overacting. You know, we're speaking of Reva here, of course. Well, here, with Obi-Wan and Anakin dueling and the lines about Jedi trying to save life rather than take it, mercy not defeating an enemy, and we, we, we have clearly defined motivation between Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's only in this episode that we're finally shown what we could only suspect about Reva. And that's the issue. It's not that there wasn't a story that they were telling. It was that you waited too long to try to give people a story. If you want to tell it in an episodic way, you have to do it in little bits and pieces, not all at once. And you can't keep telling people, hey, just wait and see, just wait and see. That's not how releasing shows week to week works. You have to tell your story differently. And I just think that's a lazy bit of writing. Launch the attack. Obi-Wan gives an inspirational talk about not fighting, but holding on just enough to escape. And there's a montage of this landing party coming, and the people on the path are blocking blast doors. I found this funny because my only thoughts were, how often do we see someone just shoot a door panel and it makes it open or close at their bidding, right? So they're, of course, welding welding metal to metal should stop that, right? If they're putting a metal bar in the middle. But when they were doing that, 
my first thought was exactly what Reva does later. Now, maybe that's just my expectations built off the first few minutes of The Phantom Menace and how many times I saw that movie in the theaters. But, you know, it was almost like they're telegraphing this move here, which I didn't hate, but I just thought it was funny. Star Wars technology is one of those places where, if you've never seen it before in the show, it's like the writers can literally do whatever they want. It's when we've seen something happen in another movie or in another show, and it happens one way there, and then you try to show it differently in another episode or another movie or something, I feel like you have to provide the reason then as to why it's different this time than from the last time. So Roken trying to open the doors is fine, right? We've never really seen an overhead hangar open up like this. We've seen plenty of reasons people crawl around vents. And that's usually the case for fixing issues, whether it's hyperdrive or opening or closing a door. Remember, Grogu got sent in by the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, into a little crawl space to help fix his ship at one point. Here I've got an issue where, so this, something is supposedly broke. But Roken is, seems to be the tech guy, right? And he should be trying things. But he doesn't want to try because he's too big? Now, I, I got excited at the thought of a Lola and Leia showdown. Remind, remember, we, we saw Lola go in, so we know, hey, Lola's, or Leia's going to go in and find Lola. Now, never mind that Leia wouldn't really have an idea what she's looking at to fix things. And, you know, they do pop, thankfully, they pop in that little line about, you need to find this red breaker. But if that's all they needed to find, I think you could have had a little bit more urgency. Somebody could have climbed in there. It, it wasn't that tight of a fit. But also, just direction from Roken for someone small enough to fit inside you could have had just about anybody smaller than him try it, right? Or And then say, oh, we, I can't fit. We need somebody really small. There were tons of kids around. And I understand, you know, Leia is, uh, I, you know, she's a plucky character. It just, this was, a, this was a little bit of a weakness. I feel like somebody could have read this part of the script and been like, maybe, maybe we do this differently, right? Well, anyway, off to the vents, Leia goes, and then Ben goes and receives a communication from Bale. Now, this had to be some kind of like voicemail thing, because the Empire easily could have intercepted this, right? So it came through maybe on the trip to Jabim, but him sensing the, the danger, I just don't feel like he wouldn't erase or destroy this thing Mission Impossible style. I There's just no reason... With what he fears could happen if something goes wrong, the the risks do not outweigh the reward here. Uh, or the rewards do not outweigh the risk. That's maybe, that's, that's what I mean. So we get more exposition about Tala's story. And at this point, I feel, at this point in the episode, we have certainly gotten more on backstory from Roken and from Tala than we ever got from Reva, which is a problem. Okay, she's not the main character of the series, neither is Tala, but Reva and Tala are major characters for specific plot points. Tala is very much a major support for the reawakening of Oyuan. Her story, 
her story is the one that we wish more Imperials would have woken up to themselves. And then this is almost immediately juxtaposed by Reva's story. Obi-Wan goes and negotiates, or tries to, and he figures out somehow she must have been there the night of Order 66. I don't know if it's just his proximity to her and he's thinking about it through the Force, but how all of a sudden he realizes this, it's, you know, it's, it's for plot convenience. And then Reva blames Obi-Wan for not protecting them. She doesn't know where he was and that he was under attack. But, you know, by the time his message goes out from the temple, uh, when he and Yoda re uh, or infiltrated the, the temple, you know, she's, she was already left for dead at that point. It's ironic how she is using, well, she used revenge to survive Anakin's blade that we don't see yet, but it just is ironic that she survived that way, but she couldn't see how anyone else might do the same, a la the Grand Inquisitor, right? It's true. Anakin was Obi-Wan's Padawan, and it's true. Vader would have wanted to keep this a secret. That's all true. But that only brings up the bigger question of why did Reva survive? Why would Vader keep Reva alive? Now, you could say, oh, he didn't know that she knew. But he very clearly tells her later in the episode, did you not think I would see it, youngling? There's no doubt that Vader knew. She knew. Okay? And I would like to have seen more about how she survived and then when she turned. But there's also a chance that we hear this next episode, right? So there's one more episode to go, maybe, and she's clearly still alive when she gets that message, so maybe there's a chance we get to see a little bit more about that. When Reva cuts through the metal here and opens the doors with the Force, it was very cool. The scenes were very cool. Obi-Wan Force pushing her back, and then the effectiveness of the Stormtrooper squad they're just not, right? The guys in the back can't shoot through the ones in the front. So they're just standing there with their guns while the guys in the front do all the shooting and fall. The defenders inside would have gotten first crack. And shooting the troopers, and there should have been much more of them falling. And we do see later that a lot of them did die. But why didn't the troopers just have that big gun fire on the door as soon as it opened up or as soon as she was forced pushed back? You know, it was knocking on the door. It was ready. And it would have just taken most of the defenders out. Maybe we could have seen Obi-Wan deflect that huge charge back or something like that. But it just seemed like, why aren't you using that gun right now? I know I don't watch Star Wars for tactically correct fighting. So this battle to me, intercut with Haja and Leia. And no, she still hasn't found the problem yet. It, the, the battle was cool. I mean, I, I mean, it's enjoyable when you have these moments, right? What's not enjoyable was Ned B gets shot and slowed down. Then Tala gets gut shot. And my fears came to fruition here. She does get a hero's death, though. That setting off of the classic thermal detonator design. Like, I'm sad she's gone. But that is a cool way to go in the Star Wars universe. Tell her to stand down. My lord, Kenobi is already ours. Vader wants Obi-Wan for himself, so he's going in. But 
why he didn't lead the charge then seemed a little funny to me, unless maybe he inspected Obi-Wan to make it out with the people on a ship sooner than he did. So maybe that's what it was. We get a continuation of the flashback of the duel on Coruscant, which I think had some callbacks to both the duel that they just had in Episode 3 where Anakin is swinging downward on Obi-Wan, and then the one where Luke and Vader's they're on the second Death Star and they're in the Return of the Jedi, and he's Luke is hammering down on his father. Now, I just, again, I don't know why we're not seeing Vader. If, if he's so focused on Obi-Wan, why we didn't see more of that in Episode 3. I think you could say, oh, it's because he was, you know, playing the long game here. But, but then that doesn't track with him being more patient here. I mean... It seems like he's patient, and then he's not patient, and he's patient, and he's not patient. And I get that, you know, he's clearly still trying to learn lessons, and he hasn't learned his lesson. But it happens, they happen so close together, I just don't feel like it's good writing. I feel like that's bad writing, that they're happening happening so close together. And right now, we're we're just getting these flashbacks, right? We're just getting this flashback, which is appropriate for an episodic series. It's just, I think it lays bare some of the problems with the script when you do it like this. Obi-Wan formulates a plan that, I mean, I think everybody watching is are like, just this is not just dangerous, but it's foolish, right? Supposedly, though, he knows his Padawan, right? But he trusts the wrong guy to take care of Leia. In my mind, now he doesn't have Tala, right? And again, I like that he's seeing Haja differently while he's now reconnected to the Force. But this guy is a con man, so he's trusting someone like the Princess of Alderaan to him. Now, I guess Roken wasn't an option, but I don't know why not, other than maybe Obi-Wan was counting on a guy who would want to get paid to bring her back safely. Maybe that's the key there. Still, I don't think there's a valid reason to give him the communicator, his lightsaber, and blaster. I, I mean, no matter what happened to Leia, he's only endangering Luke by leaving that stuff, or specifically the communicator, with Haja. There's no way, shape, or form that it makes things better by handing this off to him. Now, obviously for the plot that they want, they needed that to happen. But... I don't know, because when it was dropped, it was kind of broken. He could have just had Obi-Wan smash it and leave it off in a corner, and still she could have found Reva could have found it later, but that thing should have been destroyed. It's the story, though, so it wasn't. And again, that's okay to me, but you know, smart people making mistakes like this shouldn't happen right alongside them also making such huge risks. Again, risk and reward. Obi-Wan turns himself over. I sort of expected him to mind-trick the troopers right here, but maybe that would have been way too obvious to Reva. And meanwhile, Leia is still in the little room, in the little crawl space. Why didn't she go looking for Lola before she climbed into the vent? To me, that's a huge oversight by the writing team to me. It seems she's clever enough to go, oh, hey, I can send... Lola in and or at least have Lola look around she would have had some involvement with Lola before crawling into the crawl space okay so she didn't right 
But it is made worse to me that she doesn't hear Lola flying around in that small closed space. I mean, if there's a fan outside my window, I can hear it. Outside my door. Uh, somebody mowing the lawn with my headphones on or, or, or has a grass trimmer two houses down. I can hear that. She's in this small closed space and she doesn't hear Lola flying around or clicking or any of that. Or just somebody moving around in that space. She doesn't hear that. Seemed really suspect to me. And again, if it would have led to something, you know, a confrontation and a big moment where she has to make a decision about her, you know, destroying her friend or saving all these people, I think it would have worked better for me. But because it doesn't, it just seems a lot worse. Inform Lord Vader. Kenobi is ours. Now, as bad as Ingram's acting was surrounding just that line here, I'm not even talking about pr previous episodes. Ewan McGregor gets two of the best lines yet with, You're not bringing me to him, I'm bringing him to you, and all he'll see is me instant classics and that and those two lines rather turn this gambit that he has from ridiculous and impossible to only improbable i mean he's betting everything on the dark side being so self-centered that they're focusing on what is good for themselves rather than the good of the people so that makes it you know, that makes it somewhat believable, <laughs> this little move that he does. And it leads into a continuation of the Coruscant duel, where Anakin is the one to say, it's over. Just as Obi-Wan had moments earlier when he was first implementing his plan, he, I think he said it then, and I think he says it early in, in episode one, too, where he's like, it's over, it's done. This has a little bit more meaning here with this scene, this flashback scene, where Anakin says it's over. Anakin had disarmed Obi-Wan. He considered that to be the end. I will bring him in myself. The moments between Obi-Wan and Anakin, or Obi-Wan and Vader, are the strongest to me of the series. That's why when Vader heads into the tunnels, you're afraid for the people. You think, oh man, what's going to happen, right? Then you get moments like Leia still in this crawl space. She's still looking around for this red breaker, apparently. But instead of a heartbreaking moment where Leia has to destroy her friend to save everyone, the writers chose, let's just put a restraining bolt on. And that really stretches this for me. Now, I love Lola. I don't want to see her go. But that's why her sacrifice or sacrificing her for the story would have been a much better choice. She gets her friend by just peeling off a restraining bolt here. She doesn't even use a tool. She just uses her finger. And okay. Um, but it was a, it was called first a tracker. But it involved Lola's programming. So she was altered. So that not only does she attack Leia. But she also immediately. And I'm talking about Lola here. She immediately seeks out a method to trap people in this hangar. When this droid had barely enough time to assess the situation, it like it went immediately into the event. So this alteration in her programming was so flimsy, though, that all Leia had to do was, with her fingers, remove a restraining bolt. And then immediately, 
Lola reverts back to Leia's friend. I just think that was a, a bad decision. Now, maybe that was from on high in Disney. But then you should have had, immediately as soon as Leia goes into the crawl space, she find, she starts fighting Lola and then has to reprogram her or something. And like, what did you do, Lola? Go re, you know, fix it. Something like that, to me, would have been better than just, oh, hey, peel off this little restraining bolt and throw it away. And now everything's better. Uh, it, I I rewatched the scene a couple of times and it didn't get better and it didn't get more acceptable the more I watched it. It's it's still a really it sticks out like a sore thumb for me. Now maybe it doesn't for you and now maybe it will because you're listening to me and it's calling attention and I'm sorry if it does, but it really was a weak weak scene to me. Now, I also, because I rewatched this scene, I rewatched the scene of the doors opening, and there is no hiding that second ship. That ship is still there. Now, the, the passengers don't rush onto the first ship. They, they almost, though, stop right in front of it, which seemed to me weird on the rewatch. But it's because they want to set up this, you know, distraction later on, right? Um... You know, maybe this first ship was piloted by a Ned-class droid or just set on autopilot. But we all know this whole scene exists just so we can see Vader holding back the ship a la Rey and Rise of Skywalker. And that doesn't make it bad. (laughs) Seeing him hold it, pull it down, and rip it apart was awesome. You're a great warrior, Anakin. But your need to prove yourself is your undoing. Until you overcome it, a Padawan you will still be. Until you overcome it, a Padawan you will still be. That is a very Yoda-like saying from Obi-Wan. And I'm kind of afraid here that the line is working double. Like, it's Obi-Wan's reasoning that Yoda was still his master, even though he had a master in Qui-Gon, right? I'm talking about in either Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. And then it's also Vader's reasoning in A New Hope, where he was but the learner and now he's the master. Because this scene... I mean, this flashback on the Coruscant duel is really important now in Star Wars lore. And... I think it's fantastic. It's a great it's a great scene from top to bottom. It it could have been a little bit differently introduced in the series, but it works for this episode really really well. And the battle that ensues between Reva and Vader is terrific as well. I mean, this whole thing strung out here is there's a big section of this episode that is really enjoyable enjoyable at no point does vader even approach being overmatched which is important in fact it is clear from the get-go that reva gets more and more frightened you know first she's fighting with a single blade then she goes like she extends the second blade out and then she starts spinning the blades as if that somehow would frighten vader I really also liked, it looked like, so Vader, it almost looked like she disarmed Vader, but it it looked more to me like he was throwing his weapon away just to let her think for a moment, oh, she's got the upper hand, only for him to steal her blade from her 
and pull the second blade to himself to just point both of those blades right at her. Oh, it was fantastic. I also think, once again, having Reva flashback here to seeing Anakin approach her as a youngling and Vader approaching her in real time, and then for him to do exactly the same thing to her, that's very poetic. This, to me, is is a high point in the series, to me. You are of no further use. Not necessarily the highest point, but still a really, really good scene. And then we get this reintroduction of the Grand Inquisitor, and I feel like that was a low point. Now, not because I don't like the character, but it was clear everyone thought he was dead. We didn't get a moment where there was like an eye roll or uh, a nervous Imperial officer when somebody was mentioning how he was gone, or even one of the other Inquisitors like... You know, doing an eye roll or something. I mean, he, he's been, what, recuperating? Well, I feel like we needed to see a little bit more of that. Because there's no gain. We know, and we and they flat out told us over the last couple of uh, weeks that, you know, oh, don't worry, we wouldn't mess with canon. Well, then why are you playing this game? Right? It, it's, it's weak. There's even no visible damage to him. It's just that we're to believe he recovered and he's fine now. His reintroduction at this point... Doesn't it just feel like it was just so he could deliver the appropriate line about revenge? Revenge does wonders for the will to live, don't you think? Now, it's a great line, but it really feels like the writers come up with this line that they think, oh, it's so great. And then they devise the entire plot around a character delivering that line. I don't consider that good writing. I mean, it's writing. I just don't think it's great. The Grand Inquisitor says they'll leave her where they found her, in the gutter. So now it's the Grand Inquisitor is doing the mustache twirling. And it, it, right in front of Vader, no less. I mean, maybe there's some backstory that we don't know where the Jedi Temple Guardian that was present at Barriss Offee's trial and, you know, also the time when Ahsoka left the Jedi Order. Maybe those two formed some kind of connection. But I just don't feel like Vader... I, I don't know. It just didn't seem appropriate happening right in front of Vader. Now, they leave, but so did the people of the path on that transport, the second one that leaves. But the hyperdrive's not working, Roken says. So they're far from safe. And Obi-Wan doesn't say it, but I feel like this was the moment I have a bad feeling about this, right? Back to Reva, she's, you know, crawling in the dirt. The first thing she does is clutch her weapon because she's still seeking revenge, right? And we just heard about it from the Grand Inquisitor, you know, revenge does wonders, right, for survival or whatever. Then she sees the communicator that was dropped by Haja. Now, this is convenient for the story, but again, I feel like this is a desire to keep having a threat every episode, and it really works against it as an episodic series instead of like a movie or something. There must be this great fear in the writer's room to avoid a whole episode where things are just getting calmer and calmer, back to the place that we could believably think that they were left off, so there's not any issues with the story that we end up seeing pick up in Rogue One and A New Hope. But we kind of need things to calm down a little bit. Here, we're left with this ominous shot of Luke in bed, and Obi-Wan is afraid he left the stove on or something. And then Reva now has this information bomb. 
the writers just keep on insisting on using her to move the plot forward. And it's, to me, really, it's the worst part about all of this. Vader seeking out these people and Obi-Wan is more than enough. We don't need Reva having this kind of information. We don't need to see her redeemed anymore. We don't need to have this threat. It also feels like it's just a great waste of time. We know this is not going to lead anywhere because it cannot. No one else can know and have this information and have it be believable for the events of A New Hope to happen. That's my reminder to breathe. No matter what they end up doing, it's not going to cause me to hate Star Wars. But I do think it's totally okay for us to be concerned with how these things are written. I can't stand people telling me I'm just being impatient with the story. If that's an excuse for bad writing, well, it's a terrible one. I've watched Better Call Saul, and I'm not putting that on the pinnacle. I liked Breaking Bad, but I know that you can have good writing. And I know that it's being done poorly in this case. Now, Better Call Saul's not done connecting to Breaking Bad, and sure... All of that could end up terribly with the second half of the final season. But episode to episode here in Obi-Wan Kenobi, things need to make sense. People need to make reasonable choices based on what they know, not what we know from later movies. And I think that's the problem. My favorite moments have easily been any of those involving Vader, seeing Obi-Wan. You know, Obi-Wan is more and more like the ones we know from the prequels and the original trilogy. And if you want to talk about patience with his character development, yes, seeing him early on was jarring because he was he had no hope. And now, as he's gotten to be around Leia, that hope has been rekindled. I think thematically that works. My least favorite moments are these characters that we never heard of being thrust into major developments in a story that we never even heard a little bit about. Now, I realize you can't promise an Obi-Wan story and then let there be no stakes at all. But the details of the story that we're seeing should have come episode by episode, just like we saw with the flashback scene trickling out during this episode. We should have seen more story developments trickle out in the first few episodes. And I know... There was some writing shenanigans going on. Hussein Amini and Stuart Beatty had one story, and then Joby Harrell came in and he had another writing partner, and he like totally dismantled the third and the fourth episodes. And now uh, we get Andrew Stanton coming in and helping out on the final two. And I don't think it's it's a mystery to me at all that one of the best episodes I've seen so far had somebody who's very successful at Pixar helping out. And I don't know what the involvement is. I wasn't in that writer's room. But it's not hard for me to imagine. Now, we suspected Reva's story had more to it, right? But all I kept reading on Twitter was, It's coming. Just be patient. That's lazy writing, folks. Even in this episode, you don't just have the entire flashback play out all at once. There's a reason it was effective to show it little by little. That's why Reva's backstory reveal was too little, too late for me 
And that's why a lot of people don't like her at this point. You could have had people, had her be a nice, not foil, but somebody who was a little bit more sympathetic. They showed a scene at the beginning, right? They had that one moment where where she clutched her gut uh, in, in the Fortress Inquisitorius after the fifth brother like pull, force pulled her down. And then she got up and it was just a real brief moment where she clutched her gut. At that point, I said, okay, she got stabbed in the gut with a lightsaber, right? Maybe by Anakin, right? Okay, that that's, a, you know, your telegraph, that, that's good, but that's not enough. There was that single line to Leia about owning a droid. Not enough. The droid line, in fact, hasn't even materialized. We haven't seen, it, it would have been appropriate if there was this moment where she said, I reprogrammed the droid. Okay, then that makes sense. But what, she just stuck a tracker to it? Anybody could have done that. You know, did she do it in that moment? We didn't see it in the scene. We we could have just seen her pop it on then. Even then, it's a restraining bolt. It wasn't reprogramming. Lola did a lot more. So, and and we never got clear. If, if the Jedi Master had named them all and we had heard, oh, her name is Reva, and we know, okay, something is coming and we're, we we suspected it because we analyzed and we dissected the scene, but you shouldn't have to do that. It should you should it, it should feel comfortable, and the the story should you know be unveiled to you a little bit by little bit. There's more to storytelling than that. I'm not suggesting that it's easy, but if you, as a writer, need to keep telling people, be patient. You're not doing your job. If it was in a book, you couldn't be sitting there with or have an audio uh, button that says, just be patient when it'll all happen in the ending. You'll see it all come together. You have to do the job. It has to happen naturally. Instead, what I've seen over the past two weeks was Joby Harold going out there doing interviews and having Star Wars social media take up his cause about just be patient. It'll all work out. Don't worry. We wouldn't mess with canon. Okay. That's enough. <laughs> Part 6 comes out next Wednesday. It's expected to release again at the usual 3 a.m. Eastern Midnight Pacific Time slot. That means the finale is going to air on June 22nd. In the meantime, I'm going to record my audio for a Part 5 Recap and Discussion podcast. Maybe... Maybe this was enough. I don't know. I'm. Last week was really difficult. Again, Star Wars Twitter is really bringing me down. Some of Star Wars Twitter. I should rephrase that. There are some really good podcasters and people with common sense out there. But there's a lot of knuckleheads too. Now, if I missed something or got something wrong, send in those emails. I'm not going to read your emails when you call me names. And I'm not going to read your emails when you're telling me I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm a bad fan. Those emails didn't happen. Okay? I'm just going to ignore those. But if you send me a reasonable email, even if you disagree with me, I'll record responses and I will include them in the next episode. I will do that. So the email address for that is thisisthewaypodcast at gmail.com. And you can find all our links at linktree slash thisisthewaypod. That's like our Twitter and Instagram handles at This Is The Way Pod. I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is the way. May the force be with you always. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.